Well, hey, good morning, church. My name's Alex. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy to be with you guys. Kids, it's good to see you. It's been a while. Good morning. Church, I'm so pumped because next week we get together completely together. The church building is going to be opened and everyone's going to be in the building worshiping Jesus as one united family. I'm so pumped for that day. But before we dive into the scriptures this morning, I'd love to just pray. Will you bow your heads with me and go to the Father? Lord, we are so grateful that we get to worship you this morning. We're so grateful that we get to gather as a family and open up your word to read from Psalm 2, Lord, to see that we can take refuge in you, to see that we have a beautiful God who's come to us. Lord, we pray that as we sit under your word this morning, that you would speak to us. Would your Holy Spirit ignite a fire in our hearts to allow us to see you more clearly? to love you more. Lord, would you move in our hearts this morning? Would we worship you because you deserve all the praise and all the glory and all the worship? It's in your beautiful name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Yeah, I already said that. That's okay. You can say good morning again multiple times. Um, As we get started, uh, we're starting our final week in the Psalms. As Ricky was talking about, next week we'll be in Acts. But through the Psalms over these last several weeks, we, we've cried out to God, right? We've been able to learn that we could lament to the Lord, that he doesn't ask us to censor ourselves, but to actually go to him honestly. We've seen that we get to celebrate and rejoice that God has created this beautiful earth that we get to live on, and he's given us his word to, to hear him speak. We, we get to magnify the Lord together, and this morning we get to see that we can take refuge in God. But before we dive into Psalm 2, I'd love to just ask a question. Uh, feel free to raise your hands for those of you that are in the room. How many of you would consider yourself more so of a rebel? Would you, be, would you consider yourself more of a rebellious type of person? Okay, you guys all think that you're good people? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Because uh, typically, we have two types of people, right? You're either going to call yourself maybe more rebellious of a person because you like to push the rules or get as close to the line as you can, or maybe just go a little bit over the line. Or you'll say, well, I'm typically more of a rule follower. So I see the rules and I try to stay as far away from breaking them as much as I can, right? Uh, Well, I would consider myself probably more of a rule follower, but I have been, my wife is making a face at me. Maybe I'm actually a rebel. Uh, But anyway, uh, we typically go to one camp or the other, right? And so uh, an example of a time where maybe I've been more rebellious was when I was in high school. My brother had just come back from college for the weekend, um, and he invites me to go and hang out with him and his friends. Being the younger brother, I go, oh yeah, I'd love to hang out with you. I'd love to go hang out with your friends. And so we jump into his truck, and we start driving around town, and for whatever reason, we decided it would be really cool to go and steal pumpkins off of people's porches. I have no idea why we thought this was a good idea, but we'd start driving around the neighborhoods and we see pumpkins. Uh, My brother stops the truck and two of us will run out. We'll steal the pumpkins and we'll go back and we'll put them in the bed of the truck. And uh, we do this all night till the truck bed is absolutely just full of pumpkins. And we finally get back home and we're sitting there thinking, why did we do this? Why did we think this was a good idea? There's no way that this is a good idea. And if you're wondering, yes, my mom found out, and yes, we did get in trouble for what we did. It was not a good idea, but that was probably one of the most rebellious things that I've ever done in my life. I knew it was wrong to steal. I knew it was wrong to take the pumpkins, 
And yet I still pushed the limits. And I still rebelled knowing even though that all of that was a bad decision. I was still rebellious in those moments. Now, many of you maybe have similar stories. Many of you have stories where maybe you've seen the edge and you've pushed it just a little too far. And you've rebelled in your life, right? All of us have these stories because the reality is that we're all rebellious. And we're all rebels. And today in Psalm 2, we read of rebellion and we see that in our rebellion, there's a God who allows us to take refuge in him. So open up Psalm chapter 2 with me and read verses 1 to 3. It says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The psalm itself doesn't have a subheading, as most psalms typically do, and it doesn't tell us who wrote the psalm, but if we read in Acts chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, Psalm 2 is actually quoted. And in this quote, this psalm is attributed to David. So we can learn from Acts chapter 4 that this psalm was actually written to David. And now, Psalm chapter 2 is what we would call a royal psalm. And these royal psalms would have been read over kings as they're anointed and brought into their kingship, as they're introduced as kings. And so David writes to us, he says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? And so if we're thinking, well, David wrote this, so who are the nations then? Is it everyone? Is it Israel included? Is it not Israel? Well, David is clearly writing it, so it's not Israel. He's talking about the other nations that are surrounding them and the other kings of the earth, the other rulers that are around Israel, and they decide to plot against them. They decide to plot against Israel, and they decide to plot against God himself, right? Because Israel is supposed to be following the one true God. And we get this picture of the Gentile kings, non-Israelites, rulers who don't want to be under the authority of the Jewish God, who want to be under their own authority and say, we want to rule the way we want to. We want to do what we want to do and do it our way because we believe that it's actually better than ourselves. They desire to follow only themselves and no one else. And if this is a little weird to try and make sense of, okay, why do they not like Israel? What's the whole story behind all of this? Well, in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to this man named Abraham. And he tells Abraham this in Genesis chapter 12. He says, I will make a great nation of you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And so God tells Abraham, hey, I'm going to make a great nation of you. So that you will be a blessing to all the other nations that surround you. And so as Israel continues to grow, they, they desire to be a blessing to other nations, right? As God has told them to be. God has promised them to be a great nation. To rule along the side of them. To lead them in the midst of all of this. But the other nations, they don't want to submit to Israel. They don't want to submit to the God of Israel, right? They don't want to follow him. So the big picture that we kind of get in the midst of all of this is that Israel was supposed to be this great, big nation, right? This large, expansive blessing to the other nations. Now, many of us know the story that Israel fell over and over again in their own sin, just like we do each and every single day. But what God desired for them was for them to be a nation, a blessing to the other nations, 
And as they grew, the other nations around them started to plot in vain. They wanted to rule their own way. And that's the picture we get here today. That these other nations desire to not submit to the authority of the God of Israel, but to submit to their own authority. And like the other nations, like the other kings, like the other rulers, the story is the same for each and every single one of us. That we desire to lead ourselves. And we desire to rebel and go our own way and say, no, I want to rule myself. I want to lead myself. I know that my path is actually better. But God, God himself is the one who actually knows where true joy comes from. Where true peace and love and the right path to walk towards. And he actually knows what's best for us. But yet, we are like the other nations and like Israel itself. Where we rebel against God. And we desire to rule for ourselves, to reign our own lives in our own way. We are rebels. We rebel continuously over and over again. And we see it in our own lives, but we see it in Scripture multiple times. The story just repeats itself. There's this story in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, where the people come together. And they try to build this tall tower and they say this. They said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us Make a great name for ourselves. We live that same story each day, don't we? Where we try to build ourselves up and build our own tower and say, let us build a great tower for ourselves. Let me make a great name for myself. Let me have all the success in the world. Let me be the best student. Let me be the best leader. And we try to build ourselves up over and over again. And we try to follow our own paths, right? We try to build this tower for ourselves each and every day. And while doing this, we start to make idols. We start to worship other things, don't we? Whether it's our job, whether it's our success, whether it's being good parents, whether it's being a good student, whatever it is, we try to build ourselves up. And we start to worship those idols rather than worshiping God. And we start saying, well, that's more important. So if I just follow my own path and I keep going on this way... I'm going to build a tower of success. I'm going to build a tower of being the best parent. I'm going to build a tower of being the best at everything that I can be. And I'll just follow myself and I won't follow God. We see this over and over again, whether it's a human king or politician or an organization or your own self-desire. We start to worship other things rather than worshiping God and actually following Him. We are the nation's who say, no, let me lead my own way. Let me go my own way. And we try to cover all of this up. Because when we start following these other things, we say, no, actually, I'm being a good person by doing that. And and I'm a really good person because I volunteer. Or I'm a really good person because I'm nice to others. Or I'm a really good person because I spend all my time thinking about other people. And we try to cover up the fact that we actually have idols in our lives. We try to cover up the fact that we worship other things rather than worshiping God. We try to cover up the fact that we follow ourselves and our own selfish desires rather than submitting to the authority of the one true God. This is who we are. We try to justify it. We rebel against God. We desire serving ourselves rather than serving Him. Romans 3.23, it tells us that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
This is us. We are the runs who rebel. We are the rebellion and not the cool Star Wars type of rebellion. But the ones who actually rebel against God and follow our own authority. And we try to cover it up by saying we're good, but the reality is we can't be good enough. We'll never be good enough because we're simply following our own selfish desires. We are the nations that cry out, let us burst their bonds and cast away. We want to rule for ourselves and we want to rule in our own lives the way that we want to. And we want to just follow ourselves and our selfish desire. We want to lead ourselves and not submit to the Lord. But we can't be good enough. And we're not good enough in the first place because once we've sinned against God, we've broken our relationship with Him. Once we've started to rebel against Him, we've broken that relationship that was intended for beauty and joy and peace. And yet each and every single one of us has sinned against God. And in the midst of us and in our broken Rebellion in our broken sin nature, God still has something better for us. But we can't fix it. Only He can. We're the ones trying to rule ourselves, but He's got something better for us. To see Him and to submit to Him completely. So the question is how does God respond? To a rebel. How does God respond to those who rebel against him? Let's keep reading. Verses 4 to, four to 9. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. Then the cords of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Most of you guys know that Mariah, my wife and I, we have a dog. His name is Dakota. He's an Alaskan Malamute. So if you don't know what Alaskan Malamute is, picture a giant husky. Just absolutely huge, super furry, never stops shedding. Uh, But Dakota's 95 pounds, and some people would see him and go, oh my gosh, that dog's kind of scared. But the reality is he's actually a huge crybaby, and he cries especially when we give him baths. He hates it. So we've stopped doing it in our house because it's just too difficult. And we've started taking him to a place to where they got this little tub and we can do it. And so we took him to go take a bath last weekend. Uh, And as we're putting him in the tub and kind of locking him into place so he can't get out, he starts screaming his lungs out. Absolutely just screaming at the top of his lungs, crying and just wailing. And I'm sitting there trying to wash our dog, and you can see the workers of the place, and they're like looking at us like, what is going on? Because he hates the bath so much. It's literally the ugliest noise that you could ever imagine. But as he's sitting there screaming, I'm getting annoyed and frustrated with him. And I'm like, man, if only you knew that this bath was good for you. If only you knew, if you would stop screaming, if you'd stop 
moving. And if you just sat still and took the bath, how good it would actually be for you. If only you knew. And the same is true for us, right? As we read in verse 4 how God laughs at us in verse 4, he looks to us in our sin. He looks to us in our rebellion. And he says, if only you knew. If only you knew that what I had for you is so much better. If only you knew that that life of sin that you're leading is not going to take you down the right path. If only you knew what I had for you was so much more beautiful and wonderful. God looks to us like the child, right? Who, who tries to wrestle with their father and thinks that they're going to take him down and pin him down. And yet the reality is that we can't. Because God's plan will win and his plan will work out. And while we try to rule for ourselves in the midst of our rebellion, he says, if only you knew that what I had for you was so much better and he looks down and he laughs, but he has his plan and God will have his way because he is the God of the universe, the creator of the world. And in this psalm, we read that God's response to our rebellion, to our sin is his wrath. That because we've sinned against him, our sin deserves God's wrath, right? We read it in the psalm together. We see uh, that he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. We read that God's, our sin, our rebellion deserves God's wrath and that God is just and he will not let sin go unpunished because he is a just God like us. When we see horrible, wicked things happen to people, right? We, we get angry when it goes unpunished. We get frustrated when we see injustice go unpunished. And God is the same that he sees sin for what it is. And he will not let sin go unpunished. Because he will rule and he will continue to have wrath on all sin. And this is maybe a little weird for us to listen to and to hear and to actually wrestle with. That we start thinking, why does he have to have wrath on all sin? It's because he's just. And we, we start to categorize sin at different times, right? We say, oh, that's a big sin or that's a little sin. But no, God has wrath against all sin. Imagine it this way. We would see a woman kissing a guy, right? We would go, oh... Well, that's really not a huge deal. She's kissing a man. Well, what if that woman was my wife kissing another man? Right? We would see that and that little action that we once saw now becomes a, a, a larger sin that we see and it's sin against me and my wife and in our relationship and it's broken. And each and every sin that we commit breaks that relationship because our sin is against God. Our sin is primarily against God. And each time we sin, we see the brokenness in our relationship in God. In his justice, in his wrath, he has against that. Because it destroys us. But it also breaks our relationship with him. And because he's just, because he's holy, because he's good. Our sin deserves wrath. It's a tough pill for us to swallow. To sit here and to actually start thinking that our sin, our rebellion, to our very core, who we are, 
deserves wrath because we sin against God. And it's hard for us to sit in the midst of it and to think, oh, shoot, God's actually going to judge us because we've rebelled against him. Even as we sit here, have we actually thought about the sin that we've committed against God over the last week? Or even over the last day? Have you actually pondered the sin that you've committed against the Lord, the King of Kings, the God of the universe over the last week? And if you're sitting there and you're wondering, well, I don't, I don't really know what I did or I can't really think of anything. Well, I promise you, you're not perfect and that you have sinned against God and that there are areas in your life where you continue to rebel against him, where you continue to follow yourself and that sin that we've committed. Scripture tells us that it deserves God's wrath because he's just and he's holy actually sit with that. Contemplate the fact that your sin in your life deserves wrath because you've rebelled against the holy and just and true God. And I'm not trying to scare people. I'm not trying to condemn people. I'm just trying to teach what the text is saying that our sin deserves wrath and that one day God will judge it and eliminate sin completely in this world. And if we're in rebellion, we will forever continue to be separated from God. And maybe you wrestle with this. And maybe this annoys you because you start to think uh, that you actually don't live your life in a bad way, yet God is still going to judge you. That's a little weird. Why do I have to follow his rules? It's because he knows it better for us. Because his way is the true way. His way is the beautiful way. And picture it like this, right? You're on a path. And you're walking on this path. But you have no idea what's in front of you. You have no idea what's ahead of you. And you continue to walk on this path with no guidance. Walking by yourself. Leading yourself. Not actually knowing what's going to happen or the decisions that you're making that are actually uh, self-destructive. And as you walk along this path, God is kind enough to step into it. God is kind enough to show up and point you towards a different path and say, I have something better for you. To show you that following him actually leads to a beautiful life. To actually sit with Jesus He's kind enough to intervene and step into our lives. We rebel and we think that we can continue to lead our lives our own way. That we can continue to go forward and our path is actually better. But we have a God who's kind enough to step in and show us that our path isn't that great. That we just lead ourselves to self-destruction. And God tells us of this king to come, right? He says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And that king to reign and rule, that king to be set on a hill, the king to come is actually Jesus himself. Jesus himself, this king, there is beauty in him. In the midst of all of it, when it sounds like there's nothing but bad news, because we're in rebellion, 
And so we deserve God's wrath or we're sinful. So we're separated from God. In the midst of all of this, there is good news in the name of Jesus. There is good news that the sun reigns right now here today. And there's beauty in the fact that that king who reigns gives us life. That that king has intervened and come into us and allowed us to be adopted into the family. And to give us a beautiful inheritance in Christ. This king himself who came and died for us. This king who doesn't rule with an iron fist but came and got down on his knees and washed our feet. This king who had nothing but enemies. Could have been nothing but evil towards us. But was kind enough to give up his life for us. What a beautiful truth that we have a king who sits on Zion, who's intervened and given his life for us. The king who came and died so that we would see the good news, that he lived the perfect life that we never could. And that by trusting in him, we could have a beautiful inheritance as his sons and daughters, the beautiful free gift that he gives to us. We could be joyful with him forever. Yet often we decide that our way is better than his way. But there is beauty in the midst of our rebellion. And that beauty is Jesus. That even in our rebellion, even in the fact that our sin deserves wrath, we can take refuge in the Son. Keep reading with me. Verses 10 to 12. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those, are all who take refuge in him. David tells the other kings, right, as he writes, Be warned, be wise. He's giving them a second opportunity to rethink their decision to rebel against God. Those who plot in vain. Those who are against the holy king on Zion. Be wise, be warned. This is a truth for us to listen to, to see in our own sin. Be wise, be warned. Would you live a life pleasing to God? Would you take refuge in him? Would you see your sin for what it is? Examine yourself. Continue to follow Ooh, excuse me. Continue to follow the one true God. Because our sin does deserve wrath. But we can take refuge in him. In verse 9, we see that Jesus himself, that he will break them with his rod and death and sin and evil like pieces of a potter's vessel. God will wipe away and will judge sin for what it is. But we can take refuge in him. We can remember that while we've been far off and distant, that we've rebelled and continued to run after our own desires of our own flesh, that God still came for us. That God still lived the perfect life for us. That God himself still said, you can take refuge in me. Because Christ himself lived that perfect life. Died on the cross and rose three days later. And he took the judgment that we deserved. And he took on the wrath that we deserved. 
And we can have life everlasting with him. This isn't just a simply something to where we can say, oh yeah, Jesus did it. So I'm going to trust in Jesus and leave it at that, right? I'm just going to trust in him and that's going to be it, right? We, we start to think sometimes that we can just say, yeah, I believe that. And we go, okay, now I've got my uh, get out of jail card for free. But that's not what God wants for us. He desires an actual relationship with us to actually trust in our lives with him. To actually follow Jesus Christ himself. God died for us so that we would have a relationship with him. To have life with him. Life everlasting. It's a beautiful thing that we see in scripture. And a beautiful grace that's given to us. Because if you actually start to ponder on the fact that your sin deserves God's wrath, it makes the grace that he's given to you so much more beautiful. It makes the grace and the saving, the saving beauty that Jesus came and gave to us so wonderful. Because in the midst of it all, we can sit and remember that in our rebellion, God still became our refuge. In our rebellion, he still came for us. In our rebellion, he still desired a relationship with us. This is a beautiful truth that we get to celebrate and rejoice in. That we get to just say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross for us. So if you haven't trusted in Christ, if you haven't actually given your life over to Jesus, if you're still in rebellion, would you know that you can take refuge? He's looking to you and saying, if only you knew what I had for you is so much better. If only you knew the beautiful grace given to us in Christ Jesus. This is something that we can look to and just celebrate. Would you give your life to Christ today if you've never done that before? Would you actually kiss the Son as the Scripture tells us? Because we're still in wrath until we've kissed the Son, right? We're still in wrath until you're in Jesus. And the truth is that you'll either face Him in wrath or face Him in refuge. Would you recognize your need for Him? And would you give your life over to him? And for those of us that are in Christ, for the brother and sister in the room, would you remember the fact that he took on that wrath for you? That this is a beautiful grace that you have. That we get to celebrate and rejoice that Jesus is alive, that he raised from the grave. We get to celebrate that we have a God who took on the price for our sin. And we now get to be a blessing to all the other nations. We get to be the ones with the inheritance to say, I'm now a son or a daughter. We get to be the ones to tell people of the beautiful, amazing grace that Jesus has come to give to us. We have the beautiful inheritance that's rightfully his as he's invited us into the family. We have the beautiful blessing to tell others Jesus came. Our holy king is on his throne, ruling and reigning here today. Would you kiss the sun?
And to kiss the son simply means to to pay homage to him, to respect him, to understand him, and actually submit to who he is. We get to do that each and every day, to honor the true and the living God in our lives. Would you kiss the son and enjoy the joy that he's given to you? The beautiful grace of salvation, everlasting peace with Jesus himself. It's so beautiful. So my question for all of us to wrestle with this morning, when you picture Jesus, when you imagine him, what's he look like to you? Does he simply look like a man who came and walked? Or does he actually look like the king in his full glory, ruling and reigning on his throne? Because that's who he is today. He's ruling and reigning on his throne in his full glory. We get to celebrate and rejoice that our God is alive And that we've been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of Christ. That whether it's our salvation, that we're taking refuge in him and celebrating the beauty of the amazing grace that he's given to us. Or or whether it's something where we're struggling in life and we know that we can take refuge in that king who sits on his throne. We get to celebrate that. And we get to enjoy the beautiful grace that's given to us through Christ himself. We can take refuge in the king because he took on our wrath for us and he declares us to be sons and daughters. What a beautiful gift that we get to rejoice in. We are no longer the enemy who is plotted in vain, but we are now a son or daughter in the king. How wonderful is this to celebrate? How beautiful is it for us to be able to say, man, I was once in rebellion. I was once a rebel, dead in my sin, but now I'm alive in Christ, called a son or daughter. That he's completely transformed our life. This is a beautiful truth that we can sit in and enjoy. Before we we tended to believe, right? Before Christ, we tended to believe that our way is the proper way. And even now in Christ, we start to believe that. We start to take ownership over our own sin and we say, this way is better for us. Yet God is so kind to step into the picture. And God is so kind to say, I have something better for you. He's so kind to remind us of the fact that he gave his life for us so that we could have life with him. And in Christ, we have the beauty of remembering that we're no longer in rebellion, but we're under his refuge. We can take refuge in him. What a beautiful truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how just wonderful you are, God. We thank you that you rule and reign over all the earth. Lord, we thank you that you, in the midst of our rebellion, In the midst of our sin against you, God. That you took on your wrath for us. So that we would have life. Lord, we thank you 
that we get to see the beautiful, amazing grace that you've given to us through Christ, that we can have life everlasting, forgiveness of sins, because you, Jesus, you died for us. Lord, I pray, I pray and I beg you that we would always remember the refuge that we could take in you. It's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen.